This morning we're looking at the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I hope you have your Bibles. It's going to be on the screen as well. But let's turn to Matthew 26 um, from verses 36 to 46. Reading from the NIV translation. Let's read together. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray before we dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good perfect word. We thank you that we have access to it. We have it in multiple translations here and we can study it and read it and engage with it, not just for the sake of learning more, but for the sake of becoming more like you. We pray that we'd be transformed by your word this morning, that it'd penetrate past our minds and deep into our souls and hearts, and that something from it will be sticking with all of us in the week ahead. Lord, it's a difficult passage to come to. It's hard to read in so many different ways. Lord, I pray that as I speak from this passage, that there'd be more of you and less of me in the things that I say. In your most precious name, amen. It's a hard passage to read because there's a growing tension as Jesus edges closer towards the cross and anxiety looms thick in the air in Gethsemane. After the Passover with his disciples, Jesus takes them to a garden called Gethsemane, somewhere on the Mount of Olives. And Gethsemane literally means oil press. It was a place where oil, uh, olives would be pressed to make oil. And here in this passage, we see the crushing of Jesus. In John 18 too, we read that Gethsemane was somewhere where Judas, Judas knew that Jesus would be. Jesus had prayed here before, and Judas knew he'd be here. And this is important, this is significant, because we see here that Jesus is not avoiding the cross. He's progressing towards it. There's so much going on in this passage this morning, but I really want to focus on two things. Firstly, I want to look at the significance of Jesus' distress in this passage. And secondly, I want to look at what he does in his distress and what that can teach us. But first, 
Let's do the hard, painful work of looking upon our distressed, upon the distressed face of our Saviour in this passage. Let's reread from verses 36 to 39. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In his time of absolute need, he takes his closest companions, Peter, James, and John, who were the two sons of Zebedee. And we remember that it's these three he takes um, when he is transfigured. And apparently his friends are happy to be there, wide awake, when Jesus is showing his, the wholeness of his glory on that mountaintop experience. But when it comes to one of his lowest moments in his life, we see a different story. And here, when he he instructs them to keep watch, he's not really asking that much of them, but to just keep keep company for him and just to stay awake and be there for him. He's not specifically asking for their protection, although that's something that they might want to give. He's not even at first asking them to pray for him or even with him. He just wants their company. He wants to know that they are awake with him. Then verse 37 and 38 says, And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. We can read in Luke 22 from verses 43 and 44, he elaborates a little bit more on his state of distress says there that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. In his distress, he sweats blood. And some commentators say this is figurative for the, the, the intensity of his sweat. It was thick like blood. He was in so much distress and anguish, and he was praying so fervently. His sweat is just dripping off him however others other commentators also said that this could even be literal that in moments of extreme stress and anguish and pressure it's it's actually possible to sweat blood but regardless we get a picture in in how jesus is praying which is fervently but as well as how much distress he is in We then get further insight into Jesus' distress and what he says to his father in his first prayer. Verse 39 says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. In his final moments of journeying journeying towards the cross and redeeming humanity, he asks his father, if there is any other way, father, let it be so. If there is any other way, let it be so. The gravity of what's to come becomes ever so real and in his humanity we can sense that here just like in the wilderness jesus is tempted he knows there's no other way but the cross he knows that's the journey he must take here in this first prayer we see how much distress he is in 
But why is Jesus in so much distress? It might seem like a bit of a dumb question, really, when we consider the, the, the soon-to-come flogging, the torture, being denied by Peter, the mocking, the loneliness. But just entertain me for a moment. He's the almighty son of God. And surely people who've been tortured and crucified before Jesus or even after Jesus have approached their, their soon death with more bravery than what he is approaching it with. We're given a clue in verse 39, the source of his distress. He says, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. You see, even more than all of the physical elements that were to come, which were horrendous, crucifixion was a horrible way to die. Even more so than that, Jesus is distressed at the spiritual horror to await him on the cross. The cup here is symbolic of God's wrath and judgment of sin. You see, Jesus would stand in the place of guilty sinners and receive all of their punishment, past, present, future. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. You see, the prospect of separation from the Father is the greatest horror and a greater sorrow than any other for Jesus in this moment. But why is Jesus' distress so significant? Well, firstly, I think it draws our attention to the problem of sin. And we live in a my truth culture, right? Apparently, there's no such thing as right or wrong these days. It's your right. It's your wrong. You decide. Everyone ought to, in our culture, be able to determine their own good and evil. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like the first page of scripture. You see, in Gethsemane, we look straight into the face of Jesus and tangibly witness the reality and horror of sin. It's hard grappling with what my sin meant for Jesus. Jesus, the almighty creator of the universe, the son of God, would not be reacting like this if sin wasn't a problem, if it wasn't a big deal. Here, Jesus is witnessing the weight and gravity of sin and what it would soon mean for him. You see, the result of sin is death. And God, in his goodness, can't let sin slide. To be a good and loving and just God, he needs to deal with it. Sin must be atoned for. The Son of God sweat blood at the thought of drinking the cup of wrath that would be poured out on him. Jesus prayed, if there was any possibility, it would be taken from him. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we have been bought at a price. Sin is serious. Freedom is costly. How all too often, I'm like the disciples here, asleep at what Jesus has gone through, what he's going through. I too often forget that it was my sin that put him in this passage. On the flip side of that, the other side of the same coin Jesus' distress shows how much God loves us. It shows, tangibly dis displays his love for us. We see that what 
Jesus is willing to go through on account of us. We see the intensity of his sacrificial love. He doesn't want to be separated from the Father. It destroyed him to think that the first, for the first time ever, he would take on our sin, in some sense, be separated from the Father. However, in his great love, he took on our sin and submitted to the Father's will. And in this moment of agony, if Jesus couldn't feel any more alone and rejected, he returns to his closest companions fast asleep. We focus on what Jesus does in these moments of extreme anguish and distress and what it can teach us. Let's continue in verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here we see that even if our spirit, this is the human spirit, not the Holy Spirit, even if our spirit, which is like our mind and soul, is willing, sheer willpower is never enough. Even if our spirit is willing, sheer willpower is never enough to overcome our flesh. I can give you a simple example to paint this reality. A jar of cookies on the kitchen bench. It's visible, it's there, there's crunchy, tasty, sweet goodness. Even if you have the, you know, you're willing, your spirit is willing to lose a few extra kilos and eat healthy. We all know too well our flesh and how much it can overtake us. And before, no, you know, before you know it, one cookie turns into two, then three, then four. And in a couple of days' time, that, that cookie jar is completely empty. For Trudy and I, at the moment, it's sweet and salty popcorn. And you can get them in lots of different sizes. You can get the little packets like that, which are pretty pathetic in my opinion. <laughs> you can get the medium-sized packets and unfortunately, but fortunately, I found in Woolies that you can get the mega party size packets. They come in all shapes and sizes. And it doesn't matter how big the packet is, you finish that packet. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, going into that packet, I'm like, I don't know, I'll get a bowl. I'll just put, put a little bit in a bowl and then, you know, that can portion control me. Nope. You finish that bowl and then you think, and then you get another bowl and you fill that one up, you eat that one, and then you're like, you know what? I'm just going to get the packet. I'm kidding everyone in this moment. You know, Peter had just promised that he would follow Jesus even to death. Jesus said to his disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. To what Peter replied with, Even if all fall away, Jesus, on account of you, I never will. And even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Sheer willpower is never enough. Jesus had only just told Peter that before morning he would deny him three times. And only a few hours later, they can't even stay awake to keep watch. I have no doubt that Peter surely meant what he said in his love for Jesus. However, even if our spirit is willing, our own willpower is no match for our flesh. We cannot overcome it in our own strength. You see, here in Gethsemane, Jesus shows us the blueprint for overcoming our flesh. 
Do you want me to reveal the first part of the blueprint? There's two parts to it here. Get excited. You ready for it? Ready for the blueprint for overcoming the flesh? You can't. But he could, and he did. Amen. In Gethsemane, we see that Jesus overcame for us what we could never do. His perfect sacrifice purchased our freedom from sin and death, our righteousness. Jesus lived the perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, in their humanity and distress, the disciples fail and fall asleep. However, in Jesus' humanity and time of temptation, we read his second and third prayers. Verse 42. Jesus went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see, in his first prayer, Jesus cries out to God, If there's any other way, make it happen. Let it be so. But more than that, may your will be done. However, now Jesus returns to prayer and he recognizes something. That it's not possible for for the cup to be taken away. That he must drink its wrathful onslaught. Jesus submits to the Father's will and now prays, Father, help me to do your will. Help me to follow through with it. Give me your strength. In one of Max Locato's books, he, he summarizes what's happening here very well. The Bible, he says, the Bible is, is the story of two gardens, Eden and Gethsemane. In the first, Adam took a fall. In the second, Jesus took a stand. In the first, God sought Adam. In the second, Jesus sought God. In Eden, Adam hid from God. In Gethsemane, Jesus emerged from a tomb. In Eden, Satan led Adam to the tree that led to his death. From Gethsemane, Jesus went to a tree that led to our life. You see, where the first Adam was tempted and fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, the last Adam, Jesus, was perfectly obedient in the Garden of utter distress and agony. Where, Jesus, where Adam and Eve were tempted to not put their trust in God's um, goodness and his word, Jesus trusted his Father and submitted to his Father's will. Jesus, in his temptation, sought the Father through prayer. Here we see why we need Jesus. There's a stark contrast between Jesus' humanity, his perfect humanity, and our fallen humanity. Where we fall asleep, Jesus remains wide awake. Jesus lived the perfect life. He lived the life that I was meant to so that he could die the death that was reserved for me, that I deserved. So you say, great, Seb. So Jesus gives me his righteousness, but I still have this sinful flesh that I have to you know, live with. And we all know that even after you put your trust and hope in Jesus, we, we, even though we have his Holy Spirit empowering us within us, we still have to struggle with our flesh. We all know this war between flesh and spirit all too well. It's a struggle. We see that in Romans chapter 7. We've been given the power and freedom to live by the Spirit, however. Even, even though that's the case, we still follow our flesh. So what's the second part? I guess, where do we come in? What's our responsibility? Well, Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. You hear that? So I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is just living a life in the Spirit. It's living your life in the continual presence of the Spirit of God. Jesus instructs his disciples to remain in him. Here in Gethsemane, we see that Jesus remains in close intimacy with his Father through prayer. I'm reading this book called Live No Lies, and it's fantastic. It looks into um, you know, the flesh and how we can overcome it through the power of God. And he says this, willpower at its best when it does what it can. Sorry, willpower is at its best when it does what, it's, what it can, which is direct my body into spiritual practices. So the spirit's power can do what willpower can't, overcome the enemies of the soul, the flesh, the devil, and the world. In Gethsemane, we see the vitality of prayer in overcoming the flesh. We see how prayer plays a powerful role in aligning our will, what we think we want, but actually what our flesh wants, with God's will, what is truly best, what we truly want and desire. All throughout Jesus' prayers, he says, above all else, your will be done. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus both tells his disciples as well as lives it, models it for them, how we can overcome the flesh weakness by living in the Spirit. In these hours of distress, Jesus spends his time on his face praying. And we see him do this all throughout his ministry. We see how he prepares for his first temptation in the wilderness. You know how he prepares? He goes to the wilderness. He fasts, he prays, he seeks the Father. And by the time the devil comes along and he's hungry, he's, will, he's ready, he's ready to go. He's done the work. Often we think he goes to the wilderness just to weaken himself as much as possible to show how he can overcome. There's an element of that. But even more than that, Jesus gives us a model of how we're to tackle our flesh. Jesus goes to the wilderness to prepare. You know, when you fast, it's hard at first. You know, I'm thinking of that, that sweet and salty popcorn. And I can't stop thinking about it for like two, three days. But after, but after that initial hardship of fasting, there's clarity. There's focus. There's an ability to overcome the fleshly stuff. There's an ability to focus on God. There's a deeper ability to pray and seek God. Through spiritual practices, we can walk by the Spirit. We choose to walk by the Spirit, to live in step with Him. In this passage, we see Jesus do the same thing. In his hours before temptation, he seeks intimacy with his Father in prayer and isolation. Here we see we can't overcome the flesh in our own strength. Thankfully, even though Jesus was tempted to forsake the cross, he remained perfect and he submitted to the Father's will. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. If we put our faith in Christ and we receive his spirit, we now have the power of the spirit 
to do this life, to tackle temptations, to live by his spirit. And here we see the power of prayer in helping us through his spirit to align our will, what we think we want, with his will, what we actually truly want. We don't even know it sometimes. But what does this look like for the the week ahead? I think in the first part we see that we need to be grieved by the weight of sin. We need to do the hard... We we avoid uncomfortable stuff. Like in preparation of this, this, this sermon, reading this passage, it was difficult to read. I wanted to avoid it, you know? It breaks my heart. Like it, 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 the weight of what my sin meant for my saviour was so difficult to grapple with because it means that I, I need to change. We need to do, up, I guess, you know, we need to follow the rhythm of Easter up into Good Friday, up into Easter Sunday. We need to, to, to travel with Jesus through the Bible here. We need to be grieved what it means, what, what our sin meant for our Saviour. Then on Easter Sunday, we need to be thankful what he took on for us, what he bore for us. Thankful that he didn't forsake the cross, that he went to it, even though it destroyed him to think of what it meant for him and his relationship with his Father. So we need to be grieved by sin and thankful. And then we're encouraged to live by the Spirit and pray. We can't avoid the centrality of prayer in this passage. Jesus prays in his hour of temptation and he encourages his disciples to pray, to seek God. I think we need to just pray more. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Are you wondering why you're struggling with your flesh so much? Man, this is really hard. Why can't I overcome this? How much are you praying? Here we see God himself falls on his face in prayer to his Father. You just read the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus goes to have time with the Father in prayer. He goes into these moments of isolation to prepare himself for all the temptations, with all the hardships he would face. If you're going to pray before bedtime, you're going to fall asleep. Has anyone ever done that before? You need to be in- we need to be intentional about how we pray, how we seek the Father. And here Jesus, he t- tells his disciples to keep watch, but then he goes a step further. He walks a little bit further into moments of isolation in moments where he could hone his attention on his father, where he could seek God in prayer. Maybe we need some more isolation in our prayer. Maybe we just need to plain pray more. Matthew 26, this passage, um, verses 45 and 46, ends this uh, little section. It says, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus overcomes this time of distress and temptation. Praise the Lord. He says, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's time for me to take one step closer towards the cross. 
Hallelujah. Here we have an encouragement to pray, but we're not condemned in our lack of prayer because of what Jesus did. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what, what our sin meant for you. Too often I try to explain it away. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sinfulness. Lord, I need the power of your spirit to help me to live in step with you. I need to walk by your spirit. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. But we thank you that we've been gifted your power to overcome our flesh. But our own sheer willpower is never enough, Lord. We need to, we need to put into place these spiritual practices practices we need to pray we need to seek you help us to fall on our face in prayer more often to submit our will to yours lord i pray as we lead up into easter as we're coming closer to a time when we remember what you did help us not to skip to the end help us to understand the gravity of what you did the weight of our sin and what it meant for your, your son. But Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we might experience because of what you've done. Help us to live our lives walking in your presence, living by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you uh, please stand with me as we close out the service? Thank you.